Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Glucose is your body's favorite source of energy. So every cell in your body is very happy to use glucose. So glucose is very important. And as humans, the main way that we give glucose to our body is through eating food, specifically through eating what we call carbs. So starches and sugars give glucose to our body. The problem is some glucose is great, too much glucose and problems start happening. And the thing is, most of us have too much glucose in our body and As a result, we're suffering the consequences. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a podcast for you to relax, drift off, and allow your mind to wander. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and researcher on a mission to share information that will help you live happier, healthier, and with more love, optimism, and wisdom. This podcast features interviews with well-known guests and world-leading experts, about what it truly means to be human and what we can do to become the very best versions of ourselves. On today's Unwind, I have one of my favorite people I've met in the last two years. It's the amazing, revolutionary biochemist, Jessie Inchelsby, or as many millions of you guys know her as, the glucose goddess. Her first book hit the best-selling lists across the world. She has transformed the lives of millions with her small, easy hacks to help you manage blood sugar levels. And thank God she's back with a new book that puts all her wisdom into an easy-to-do plan. The book is called The Glucose Goddess Method. The Glucose Goddess Method has already been trialed and tested by thousands of people and the results have been incredible. 90% of people are less hungry on the plan, 77% have more energy, 67% say they actually felt happier afterwards, 89% of people said that they actually have less cravings and there's other crazy amazing stats that feel just unbelievable because what Jesse suggests you do is so easy and so simple to add into your life and routine. I would love for you to share a piece of writing that resonates with you. So this is from page 271 of the new book. It's the conclusion of the book. You did it. Welcome to your future. The year is 3030 and we all have hoverboards. Just kidding. But the end of this four-week plan does kick off the beginning of the rest of your life. You've set up your glucose levels in an extraordinary way. They are steadier than ever before. You've unlocked energy, helped your brain, and, I hope, reduced any symptoms you were experiencing. I have certainly had an amazing time hanging out with you for these last four weeks. You are now a glucose god, goddess, or non-binary deity. I'm pretty sad to leave you, but trust me, we will hang out again soon. I hope I was a good flatmate. Love. Jesse. P.S. I watered the plants. 
this text at the end of the book makes me so emotional. Like I could totally cry. It's crazy. <laughs> it's so cool to be able to do this, you know? <laughs> oh, I did not think I was going to come on here and start crying in front of you. <laughs> But I'm just like, I'm so proud and I'm so happy about this work. And it's such a gift to me but also a gift to the world. And it's just like, it's so fucking cool that I get to both share science that's so valuable to people, but also put myself and my love and my emotion into it also. <laughs> First cookbook that will make you cry. <laughs> I know it is so emotional. And reading the messages that you've now included in, in this latest book mm -hmm. of the community, they are deeply emotional like you know there was one text that said I've got my period back these are really life-changing changes that you're creating mm -hmm. for people just you, you wrap everything together you know it's it's the changes that are being created it's the ability to make change easy and fun and beautiful and encouraging and it's actually spreading love you know and spreading help and joy and The period is one thing. I have three women who during the pilot experiment got pregnant, even though they were told they were not going to be able to conceive naturally. And just dozens of messages of lives changing and people regaining agency and, and power over their health. And like, it's just magical to me. And then you wrap that all in with the ability to completely design this experience of this four-week plan and this book. And I wrote every single word and I was in every single decision and to be able to make something that feels so much like me mm. is also just wild poppy so I'm just so grateful and I'm so in a total state of like joy over this project it's amazing how do you understand it and I'm not sure if you have kind of a spiritual perspective on this but mm -hmm. you set up your Instagram account not really that long ago right a few years ago four years ago yeah four years ago and It has exploded. You have millions of people that follow you. And it is extremely difficult to create a book like you have done and this program that has captured the hearts and minds and health of, as I said, millions of people around the world. Yeah, I do have a very strong spiritual side to me. And, you know, on the one hand, I can tell you the pretty normal story of like, I broke my back, I got into health, I did biochemistry, genetics, then glucose, but also there's a big part of my brain that's just like, I think I was just destined to talk about this topic. Mm. And I can even look back to really early in my life, like when I was 12, I was in a school theater play and I played the pancreas, which is the, <laughs> the organ that regulates <laughs> glucose levels, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Isn't that amazing? And so many times I wanted to stop and quit this project and then something crazy happens. And to me, that's just the universe yeah. being like, no, 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 Jesse, you're supposed to talk about this. For example, I would say it was about one year into the glucose goddess Instagram. I actually wanted to give up because I was like, I don't know where this is going. I have 10,000 followers. Sure, that's great. But like, how am I going to turn this into something I can live off? And then the week I was going to basically say, okay, I'm quitting. The person who's now my book agent reaches out to me and is like, I want you to do turn this into a book. It's so great. And there has been all these little, wow. you know, angels and fairies helping me along the way. So it's hard to understand, but at the same time, it feels very right. So it's half like, I can't believe this is happening and half like, yes, of course this is happening. 
We had the most incredible first interview, which was one of the most listened to podcast episodes we've had on the show. So if you haven't listened to our first episode, do go back and listen to that because we cover a lot of the basics. But for people who are new to this, I thought we would just start with a really kind of easy general question, which is why should we be caring about our blood sugar levels? Why are they important? Absolutely. And we could even go a bit further back and explain what is blood sugar, what is glucose. Yes, that would be really helpful. That's a good place to start too. So glucose is your body's favorite source of energy. So every cell in your body is very happy to use glucose. So when you blink, your eye muscles are using glucose to blink. When your heart pumps blood, it's using glucose to pump blood around your body. Every single nook and cranny in your body relies on glucose for energy. So glucose is very important. And as humans, the main way that we give glucose to our body is through eating food, specifically through eating what we call carbs. So starches, which are like bread, pasta, rice, potatoes, and sweet foods. So anything from your favorite chocolate cake to a banana. Okay, so starches and sugars give glucose to our body. The problem is we thrive, our body thrives when it gets a steady, moderate supply of glucose. If you give your body too much of this glucose, problems start happening. It's a little bit like when you take care of a house plant and you know the plant needs some water to survive, but if you give the plant too much water, then it drowns and you know it dies. The human body is a bit of the same. So some glucose is great, too much glucose and problems start happening. And the thing is, most of us have too much glucose in our body. Most of us are walking around giving too much of these starches and sugars to our body. And as a result, we're suffering the consequences. And the consequences are much more common than you might think. So the most common symptoms that you have too much of this glucose in your body are cravings for sweet foods throughout the day, unsteady energy. So feeling tired mid-morning, needed caffeine in the afternoon, not sleeping very well, not feeling very rested. Then glucose really affects the brain too. So when you have too much glucose in your body, you may experience brain fog. You might have more anxiety and depression symptoms. Glucose also affects fertility. Too much glucose in the body means your fertility system is going to be out of whack. And one of the most common causes of infertility these days is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that is very tightly linked to glucose levels. And then long-term, too much glucose leads to the development of type 2 diabetes. So that's kind of the overview. Most of us have too much glucose. It impacts us today. It impacts how we feel right now, how many cravings, how hungry we are, how much energy we have. But also long-term, it's very important to learn to steady our glucose levels for that long-term health. So let's go into that a little bit further. For example, why would your glucose levels affect your sleep? Well, there's a few different reasons. So there's this concept called a glucose spike. And a glucose spike is a rapid increase in glucose levels after a meal. And so in your body, the concentration of glucose increases rapidly if you give too many carbs to your body too quickly, and then it drops. And that spike and drop that experience of spiking and dropping, it's quite stressful for the body. It increases inflammation, it increases aging, it increases insulin release. And we know that if you go to bed just after a big spike from dinner, for example, your sleep will be less restful simply because that spike and that drop is a lot for the body to deal with. And speaking of sleep, if you've ever woken up at like 2 a.m., 
with sweats and a pounding heart, that is often the sign of that crash, of that glucose crash after the spike from dinner. So glucose affects every single system in our body and, and sleep is one of those. Yeah, it's, it's a big one. I imagine that is also highly linked to alcohol too, because if people drink alcohol before bed, is that often why you'll wake up four hours later? So that's a different system. But yes, alcohol does have an impact on sleep as well. So the worst thing you can do before bed is drinking alcohol and eating in a way that creates a big glucose spike. Then your sleep is not going to be restful. Your heart rate is not going to slow down as much as it needs to, to feel really rested when you wake up. Um, so you're just adding stress to your body, essentially. And that can be felt in so many different ways. You could even experience it as stress. So when you have lots of spikes and drops in your life, lots of glucose spikes and drops, your thyroid and your adrenals also start feeling the effects of that. So you might see some thyroid issue, some adrenals issue. You might feel like, oh my God, I have so much stress in my body. But what you don't know is that you might be actually contributing to that stress with how you're eating and how high your glucose level are spiking. To dive further into the correlation with fertility, how does blood sugar levels and glucose affect fertility? So when a glucose spike happens, so when your glucose levels go really high, your body has a mechanism to bring that glucose level back down, right? Because it wants to protect you against that really high level. And what it does is that your pancreas sends out insulin and insulin grabs this extra glucose and stores it away into different parts of your body, like your fat cells, your muscle cells, and your liver cells. The problem is over time, when there's too much insulin that accumulates in your body, that has a big effect on female hormones. Specifically, when there's too much insulin in the body, your ovaries are going to start producing extra testosterone, which is the male sex hormone. And because of this increasing amount of testosterone in the body, the balance between male and female hormones is going to start getting out of whack. You're going to have way more male hormones than you have female hormones. And that leads to typical male traits. So for example, balding on the head, hair growth on the face, but also stopped ovulation, missed periods, etc. And so often when somebody has these symptoms, they're diagnosed as this sort of umbrella term called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is just to say it's a group of symptoms of like these polycystic ovaries. And often what happens if you have PCOS is that your doctor will prescribe the birth control pill to you. Why do they do that? Because the pill contains female hormones. And so if you add female hormones to the mix, up the balance comes back to a state where you know, you don't have all this excess testosterone anymore. It's being balanced by extra female hormones. But the thing is, that's not solving the underlying issue. Mm -hmm. So when you stop taking the pill and you stop using all these extra female hormones, poof, the testosterone balance just goes way back up. And a lot of women who stop the pill because they want to conceive are faced with the startling discovery that they don't have their period and they're not ovulating. And that's super shocking. So what we need to think about is like, okay, what is the root cause of this testosterone excess? And not in all cases, but in many cases, when you reduce your glucose spikes and when you reduce your insulin spikes, then your ovaries stop producing so much testosterone and you can get that balance back naturally. 
And that's why I get so many messages of people who were not getting their periods anymore, weren't able to conceive, were able to get back to well-functioning fertility thanks to avoiding glucose spikes. And to me, that's so cutting edge. For men, does this also impact their fertility too? There's way less research done on male fertility and glucose, but yes, it does seem that a very important key thing if you want to make sure all your fertility is going well is to balance your glucose levels, even if you're a man. Yes, it's like, it's a foundation. You really need to have that covered if you want to put all chances on your side. It's so interesting. And I guess the reason I'm so obsessed with your work is because you take this, what historically used to be extremely complicated science and us trying to understand this magical complexity of the body into a really easy format where we can hack it on a daily basis. What was the thinking behind this second book? Because I'm sure you could have gone into so many different avenues. You could have taken this book in so many different ways. So what was it about this four-week plan that made you want to write it? So after the first book that came out last year, and that first book, Glucose Revolution, it was sort of a quite a Bible of all the science. So it had explanations on each medical condition linked to glucose. I have 10 hacks in there with, you know, deep chapters explaining how the hacks work, stories of people, my own personal journey. It was like, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a very legible book, but still it's pretty dense. And I started getting a lot of messages from people who were like, Jesse, I read your book. I get it. Like, I want to do the hacks, but I don't know where to start. You need to help me. And a lot of people asked me to move in with them to help (laughs) them do it. Hence the conclusion in the book where I talk about being your flatmate. And so I thought, okay, you know, my purpose is to make this science as practical as possible and to be there with people, helping them take the few first steps to their new life. That's really what I care about. Like, how do you make behavior change happen? Because you could know that you should be eating a bit better or exercising more or whatever, but that doesn't make you actually do it. Mm. Knowing theoretically you should do something and doing it are completely different things. And what I love is helping people actually do it. Mm. So this book is an even deeper answer to that question of actually doing it. So what I did is I took the four most important glucose hacks from my first book savory breakfast, vinegar, veggie starter, and movement. And I sequenced them into this four-week plan. So week one, we start savory breakfast. And we do that for the whole four weeks. Week two, we add in vinegar. Week three, we add in a veggie starter. And week four, we add in movement. And I also made super simple recipes to actually help people do that because people love recipes. I was getting inundated with recipe requests. But I didn't just make recipes. I was like, okay, how do I make recipes so that somebody who's never bought a cookbook would actually pick this up and would be able to start doing the recipes? So, you know, six ingredients or less, super simple, five-minute stuff, just assembling ingredients in most cases. And the photography is really fun and makes you want to do it. And it makes it feel approachable and enjoyable. And that was really important to me to just make this extremely accessible. What is your day-to-day breakfast? Because I think that start with like week one, which is savory breakfast. Why was that important to start there? So my go-to savory breakfast is the two egg omelet with feta and tomatoes. That's my favorite. And um, it's in the book. It's the third recipe in the breakfast week. And the reason savory breakfast is so important is because 
Most of us are eating a breakfast that causes a big glucose spike. Most of us are eating oats with some honey and a banana or toast with jam and a fruit juice or cereal or muesli or granola. And we don't realize that we're just giving our body starches and sugars, which means a big glucose spike. And when you have a big glucose spike at breakfast, your entire day is going to be kind of a hassle. You're going to be hungry a lot. You're going to have cravings. Your energy is going to be unsteady. You're going to be hungrier before lunch and before dinner. And you're going to be on this glucose roller coaster all day. Mm. And a glucose roller coaster may make you feel like you're addicted to sugar because those swings impact the craving center in our brain. And those glucose swings tell you to go and find some stuff to eat. And when you switch from having a big glucose spike at breakfast to a breakfast that keeps your glucose levels steady, your entire day changes. To me, it's like, you know, when you step through the mirror, like in a movie, it's like a parallel universe. You're like, oh my God, I actually have so much energy and my brain feels so clear. And I don't feel so, you know, compulsed to buy that kind of gross looking cookie at the coffee shop just because I need some sugar. So savory breakfast that keeps your glucose level steady is the cornerstone. And how do we build a savory breakfast? We build it around protein. That's really important. So sure, eggs, but also, you know, protein powder in a cool smoothie. You can have some cheese, like some halloumi on spinach. You can have some tofu. You can have some leftover chicken, leftover fish from last night. Like you can really compose lots of different savory breakfasts that are really easy to make. And that's why I have so many recipes in the book. So protein, and then you can add some fat and fiber. And then very importantly, if you want, you can have like some bread or some other starches, but you need to make sure they're not the center of your breakfast. You need to make sure they're there for taste. That's really key. And finally, a savory breakfast that keeps your glucose levels steady doesn't contain anything sweet, except if you want some whole fruit, but again, for taste. So for many people, this shift is quite a big one right? It can feel a bit daunting, like, whoa, you're saying I can't have my oats with honey and banana anymore? Like, what is going on? But what I explain in the method is that if you love your sweet breakfast foods and you don't want to give them up, which is fine, you can still have them, but think of them as dessert and have them like after your lunch or after your dinner as a little sweet dessert. That's really key. It is really interesting to hear that you're not the greatest advocate for oats. Can we just go into why having a real oaty breakfast can often set us up for a bit of a, a roller coaster. Yes, because so oats are a grain and they're essentially pure starch. Mm. You may have heard like, oh, oats have a lot of protein in them. That's not true. Oats are mostly starch and starch turns to glucose when we digest it. So it's not to say they're bad, right? But if you're thinking from your glucose perspective, you're going to say, okay, well, if I'm just having oats in the morning, especially if you add more sweet stuff to it, you know, if you add like some honey to it, that's just a big glucose spike waiting to happen. So in your body, on that empty stomach, after 12 hours of fasting overnight, when your body is at its most sensitive, you're giving it this big, big influx of glucose. And on the inside, so many things start happening with that big glucose spike, you know, your cells become inflamed, your mitochondria, which are in charge of making energy become stressed out, you age faster, insulin gets released, like you're just kicking off this one-way ticket to a roller coaster for the rest of the day. So if you're somebody who 
cannot give up oats. There are some things you can do. For example, you can have your oats with some nuts. You can have your oats and mix in some protein powder in there. You can have your oats with a Greek yogurt, for example. And you can try to, you know, avoid adding extra sugar to that OT breakfast. And I have all these tips in the book as well, but ideally you do want to shift away from having the oats if you can, because it will really radically change how you feel. Now, if you're somebody who is in incredible health, you know, you feel amazing physically, mentally, and you eat oats, but you're super happy, like I have nothing to teach you. You Keep going, like you're doing great. But if there are some symptoms that you would love to see disappear or if you feel like you could feel better than you currently do and you have sweet oats every morning for breakfast trying something else might just change your life some of you that have been following me for a while now may know how much time i spend on my feet i'm obsessed with walking it truly makes me feel happier but last year i started to suffer from some foot pain and i just couldn't work out what I was doing wrong. Turns out my shoes were the problem. I never really gave a second thought to what I should be wearing on my feet until I was told I was wearing shoes with no support. This is when I started doing my research and discovered Vivo Barefoot. After my first run in my Primus lights, there was no turning back. My feet are less constricted and they offer a barefoot design that fits firmly around my feet and makes them feel so much stronger. The feeling of the ground beneath your feet also connects you to the world around you. So you really get that grounding feeling. They are almost like therapeutic shoes. They are incredibly relaxing to wear. Vivo Barefoot are offering a 100-day free trial on their footwear. And you can purchase yours today with an exclusive 15% off for our listeners when you visit www.vivobarefoot.com unwind. Check out the link in the show notes. It's just so crazy to me that for the maybe the last 30 years, and I guess maybe since the introduction of television, how much we have been led astray by huge companies selling us really sugary breakfast cereals. I mean, I remember growing up eating Pop-Tarts. I mean, (laughs) I kind of think to myself, this is crazy that we generally thought that that was a good idea. Yeah. Isn't that wild? And, you know, sweet breakfasts are an invention. Like we didn't used to have sweet foods for breakfast. We used to just eat regular food like meat and potatoes. The fact that now we've been brainwashed into thinking that we should be eating dessert for breakfast is an amazing accomplishment of the breakfast food industry. Like they've been able to sell us these foods that are really addictive that are cheap to produce, high margins, Mm. and that keep you coming back for more. Because when we eat something sweet, Poppy, we do feel this sort of like, it wakes us up. We feel like we're getting energy, but actually what's happening is that you're releasing dopamine in your brain in response to that sweet taste. But dopamine is not energy. Dopamine is pleasure. Dopamine is the pleasure molecule. So you're you're being flooded after that Pop-Tart with you know, this pleasure molecule that makes you feel good for a little while, but you don't realize that on the inside, you're not actually giving good energy to your body. You're harming your body's ability to make energy efficiently. So over decades, you know, your cells and your organs, they become ravaged and you're still eating that granola, that sweet cereal in the morning, that fruit juice. 
and you're starting to feel pretty fatigued. Like you start to feel pretty shitty. You're like, wow, I'm eating all this sugar. I thought this was giving me energy, but actually come 3 p.m. I, I could have a nap. I'm just dead. That is a very clear sign that even though you're eating sweet foods and you think you're giving your body energy, actually on the inside, things are not working well. Now, the cool thing about your body is it's very resilient and it can change very quickly. So even if your mitochondria are tired, even if you're experiencing chronic fatigue after years of a sweet breakfast, you can change that. Your mitochondria regenerate. You can really just completely switch things around for yourself and your mitochondria will thank you and you will actually unlock this energy that you lost over the years. On the whole, if I've had a week of eating more sugar than I usually would, I notice that I start to crave that sugar more and then it takes me like a few days of really battling against those cravings to kind of go back to a place where I don't crave it so much. What is the usual time scale if people have been having quite a glucose-filled diet? How long will it take to stop craving? I would say probably a couple of days. That's the experience that I've had. There hasn't been any scientific studies showing us like the exact number of days, but from my experience, from my readers and my own experience, I would say a couple of days. And what's cool when you start using the hacks, Poppy, is that you can still eat sugar, right? You can still eat your favorite cake and your favorite this and that, but by using the hacks, like the vinegar hack or the veggie starter hack, you're eating the sugar and getting the dopamine without creating such a big glucose spike. So without starting off that sugar addiction. So you get into this state where instead of feeling controlled by the sugar urges, mm. you actually enjoy eating sugar. You're like, oh, you know what? Tomorrow I want to go buy my favorite you know, pie, my favorite dessert. And you think about it from a place of like joy and enjoyment and pleasure instead of just leaving the office and just walking into a corner store and buying a, a candy bar because you're just, you just really need sugar. You see? So sugar is still around, but it has a much nicer energy around it. And I'm not sure if you've kind of had much feedback, but this feels that this can be very helpful for people struggling with disordered eating because you introduce a healthier way to understand our favorite foods rather than a lot of guilt often is associated with them. Yes, I, I totally agree. There's a lot, you know, when somebody has a craving, even if they don't have a history of disordered eating, oftentimes just societally having a craving is accompanied by shame, guilt, feeling like you don't have enough willpower to, you know, fight against it. And there's just a lot of emotion caught up in these cravings for sweet foods. And the cool thing is the solution is not actually to try to apply willpower and try to just like mm. muscle through and resist. It's actually to solve the underlying issue. And then those cravings go away. And that to me is so wonderful. And that's why in the pilot study for my new book, 89% of people reduce their cravings after four weeks without cutting out anything, just by adding these hacks in. And I want to make this very clear, eating whatever they want the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. So you're adding breakfast, savory breakfast, you're adding a veggie starter, vinegar and movement. And then the rest of the time, like if you want chocolate cake, like go for it. There's no restrictions. It's not about trying to muscle your way through it all. It's remarkable to notice that when you just add these principles, these gentle giants into your days, while well, naturally these cravings, this hunger, this fatigue just evaporates. And this is, you know, I've said it before, but I really use the word revolutionary because the diet industry has 
just preyed upon people feeling guilty and also this focus on willpower, willpower. And for a normal human being, it's exhausting. We've got enough on our plate as it is, just keeping plates spinning, whether it's family work, to then think on top of it, like I should not have that food, foods being labeled good or bad. And suddenly, mm-hmm. as you said, you, we have these gentle giants that you've introduced us to that are like, you're good. A little nudge here and there, a little tweak, and you can have these profound changes. The one question I've been asked a lot to ask you is lattes, because a lot of people like to have a good cafe latte when they start their day. What are your thoughts on that in terms of blood sugar? Or, I mean, you know, you get that afternoon slump. I know a lot of us don't like caffeine in the afternoons, but you just want that pickup. You try not to have a sugary sweet. So you're like, okay, I'll get a coffee. What are your thoughts? Coffee's absolutely fine. Um, It's really not a problem. What you need to pay attention to is what you're putting in your coffee. Mm. So like a black coffee is not the same as an oat milk latte with caramel sauce in it. So the coffee itself is totally okay. And a lot of scientific studies have found a lot of benefits to to coffee, actually. But let's talk about the milk first. So (laughs) a lot of people love oat milk. Oat milk is fine, but you need to think about something. Oats, again, are a grain. Grains are starch. So when you make oat milk, you're basically squeezing the oats and you're making liquid starch. You're making liquid glucose, essentially. And so oat milk leads to a pretty big glucose spike because it's mostly glucose. However, if you want to have another plant-based milk that's better for your glucose, you might look at something like a nut milk. So nuts are not very high in starch. They have a lot of fiber, a lot of fat, a lot of protein. So their milk will also not be very very high in starch and will not cause a spike. So, you know, almond milk, pistachio milk, macadamia milk, coconut milk, those are better options for your glucose levels. But again, it's kind of a minefield poppy because even if you go to a coffee shop and you ask for like almond milk, a lot of times the almond milk has extra cane sugar in it. So it's a bit intense to navigate all that. I have reverted to just having whole milk, like just regular cow's milk, which is high in fat, high in protein. You know, I handle dairy really well. So that's my go-to now. What do you have? Well, since reading your book, I have swapped to nut milk, but I make my own almond milk. But I'm, I do a lazy girl almond milk in terms of I just put a handful of almonds in the blender, put water, and I don't strain it. There's probably bits in it. So, I mean, as I said, <laughs> love it. But I'm finding that is helping because before I would buy almond milk, but it had a lot of seed oil in it too. Mm-hmm. Would you mind explaining to people what are the dangers of seed oil and how do these affect blood sugar and glucose levels? The oil thing is interesting. So oils themselves are mostly fat, and fat does not impact your glucose levels. So having oils or butter does not increase the spike of your meal, it actually tends to reduce it, decrease it, because fat slows down how quickly molecules are going through your digestive tract. In a vacuum, adding fat to a meal is actually good for your glucose levels. However, there are good fats to add and bad fats to add. And the fact that they're good or bad doesn't have anything to do with your glucose levels. It has to do with other stuff in your body. So good fats to add are things like olive oil, avocado oil, you know, linseed oil, uh, nut butter, butter, avocados, you know, 
fats that come from whole foods, like from meats and fish, etc. Now, the problem is we've started seeing a lot of these processed seed and vegetable oils, and these have a really bit bad impact on our body. These are inflammatory. And some example of the vegetable and seed oils that you need to be cautious of are things like corn oil, soya bean oil, sunflower oil, canola oil, safflower oils, like all of these things. They may look healthy because they have these little flowers on the, on the bottle, but really it's much better for your body if you're having the other types of fats. So the ones I mentioned, you know, the olive oil, the butter, the lard, the meat fats, the avocado, etc. And it also brings me to an important point, which is that glucose isn't everything. Balancing your glucose levels is a wonderful way of getting to better physical and mental health. But it's not everything. We also have to look at the fats that we put in our diet, for example, that don't, that don't impact our glucose levels, but can impact our health. We have to look at things like stress, like alcohol, mm. like emotional connection, like medical mm. care, like sleep. You know, It's a really wonderful first step into health. And then when your glucose levels are balanced, you can start adding on more things. And that addition of more things becomes much easier because you're just feeling so much better. Brick by brick. So mm-hmm. week four of your plan introduces movement after eating. Is it instant movement after you've eaten? And what is enough movement to balance out the glucose levels? So the concept in week four is 10 minutes of movement after one of your meals a day. It doesn't have to be intense movement. You can just go for a walk. And ideally, you want to do this movement within 90 minutes after the end of a meal. Why 90 minutes? Because after you eat, The glucose spike of the meal takes about 90 minutes to get to its peak before your body starts stashing it away into um, those cells. So if you can use your muscles, move your body a little bit during that phase, during that 90 minute phase, some of the glucose from your meal is going to go and be used by your muscles for energy instead of sticking around and creating this spike. Walking is a good one. You can also just clean your home, do the dishes, play with your dog. My new favorite one is doing calf raises at your desk. So you're just sitting down and you just do like five or 10 minutes of calf raises. So just essentially pushing up onto the balls of your feet and and back down. And this activates a muscle in your calf called the soleus muscle. And this muscle is really good at soaking up glucose. So, you know, you can do this at work. Nobody will even notice you're doing it, but you'll be helping your glucose levels. I love that. It's so easy. I'm doing my calf. Uh, You're doing it right now. I'm yeah, doing, <laughs> doing my calf raises now. I love that. A topic I was really interested in addressing with you is this tidal wave of Ozempic because it has some ties, I guess, to kind of the world of glucose. My interpretation is that you're providing a method that has zero side effects, no medication needed, and Ozempic does this, but obviously through a medicated way. What are your thoughts on, and maybe you could explain what Ozempic is and what are your thoughts on it? Sure. So Ozempic and there's Wigovi and Munjaro, like these are all different brand names. Um, They are all a class of drugs that was invented for people with diabetes. And this class of drug does a few things. So number one, it actually suppresses your appetite. So it acts on your brain and it tells your brain that you're not hungry, essentially. And it also impacts your glucose levels because it pushes your body into burning fat 
and keeping your glucose levels low. So for a person with diabetes who has a really hard time managing their diabetes, it's actually quite helpful. But when it's applied to people who just want to do this for weight loss, it's a bit complicated. And listen, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really you know, comment on whether yeah. you should take it or not, but you have to understand what's going on. You're essentially making it easier to starve yourself. It's not a good look. <laughs> and whether or not you take this medication, you need to learn how to eat. You need to learn these principles because when you stop taking that medication, all of your hunger is going to come back. So if you've been experiencing lots of glucose spikes in your life and you're eating in a way that makes you extra hungry and have all those extra cravings, as soon as you stop the drug, all those cravings are, are going to come back up. Whereas if you learn the glucose hacks, you're going to be able to sort of naturally regulate your appetite better. I think it's a fad. I think it's a phase. I think that ultimately people need to understand these core scientific principles to manage their health in a good way and to be able to navigate the food environment. Because essentially what's going on now, Poppy, is that the food environment is so messed up and we are so completely disconnected with how to eat that we have to take a drug <laughs> that suppresses our appetites. And that's the solution people go towards, you know, because the food around us is so addictive and so confusing. So yeah, I think whether or not you take one of these medications, you need to learn the hacks. Like it doesn't preclude any of that, of that work as well. Have many parents got in contact with you? Because it feels that this should be an education in schools. You know, I, I went to a child's birthday party at the weekend and it was, there was just sugar everywhere. And obviously that's natural, right? You know, to have birthday cakes and all the rest of it. But I left thinking to myself, what are we teaching the next generation? Yeah, listen, the kids thing is really interesting. And I get a lot of messages. So I'm actually looking more and more into the science. Um, I posted something recently about kids and the food order. And does the food order also work on kids? It seems like it does. And we're actively researching this topic. But I hope that I can get to a point where, you know, maybe I make a kid's book or something yeah. that can actually teach kids about this topic because it's so important. It's just as important as drink water, brush your teeth, wash your hands, eat your veggies first, have a savory breakfast. Like to me, that's the level of, at which we are. And I see my work as public health work. Yes, you know, I don't really consider myself like in the wellness world. I'm more like, no, no, this is like public health information. You know, I want to do, I would love to work with governments and do big campaigns uh, explaining to, to kids or to the public why this matters. So yes, it's, it's a very strong topic of interest and I'm sure you'll see more, uh, more on it from me soon. Talking on that public health perspective from someone who's studied, you know, been in the mental health world for the last 10 years, I think this is one of the most foundational interventions that you can do for your mental health. So it would be really great just to recap how glucose and mental health are so related. So in the scientific studies, we see that the more glucose spikes you have in your diet, the more symptoms of anxiety and depression you will experience if that's your, you know, Wow. background of health. And for me, Poppy, this is the reason I got into this in the first place. So I, when I was 19, I broke my back. I had a big accident, very intense surgery. And then I started getting a lot of mental health issues. So dissociation, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, just like really intense stuff. And after eight years in the dark, just completely lost as to what to do to feel better, I noticed that the more glucose spikes I was having in my diet, the worse my mental health was. Um, and that is what prompted this whole project for me. 
It's pretty clear and it makes sense that because your brain and the brain cells in your brain use so much glucose for energy, for thinking, for just brain function, that they also feel the impact of the glucose spikes. So all the little mitochondria in your brain, all the neurons, the brain cells, they feel the inflammation, the glycation, the insulin resistance that is caused by glucose spikes. Like it's not like your your brain is like cut off and there's a different thing going on here than the rest of your body. It's all connected. And your brain is so sensitive to glucose that there's actually, you know, the blood brain barrier that protects your brain from spikes as well as it can. So when there's a big shift in concentration of glucose in your body, that shift in your brain is much smaller because of this protection mechanism of the barrier. That being said, because we have such big glucose spikes anyway today, your brain is actually experiencing some pretty big spikes as well. And so that's short-term, you know, mental health, but also long-term, we're starting to see more and more links between glucose and dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, some scientists call Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm, Because what's happening in the brain when somebody has dementia or Alzheimer's disease is actually pretty similar to what happens in the body when somebody has type 2 diabetes. The brain cells in your brain, because of so much insulin over so long, they can't really absorb glucose anymore, so they become starved. There's inflammation between your neurons, so things the inflammation doesn't go really quickly between them anymore. So the plaque-based view of Alzheimer's is starting to change. And we're starting to understand that Alzheimer's looks more like a metabolic disease than it does like a plaque-based disease. And you can see this in the data. So if somebody at age 35 has type 2 diabetes, they're like much more likely, I think it's twice or three times more likely to develop Alzheimer's later in life. So this to me is fascinating, Poppy, because it's giving us such a cool clue into things we can do today to prevent Alzheimer's from arising tomorrow. And there's even more studies on this. It's fascinating how with every spike, uh, you're slowing down the speed of signal between neurons and that can be felt as brain fog. So that's a really clear indicator of glucose spikes if you have a lot of brain fog. And then finally, there are some experiments done, especially in California, where they put people on a sort of zero-carb diet, essentially, zero-glucose diets, people who have dementia or Alzheimer's. And they see improvements in their conditions. Some people can even go back to work, even though they had to quit because their brain was so ill. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Before we go, what are your thoughts on berberine as a supplement? I'm seeing that more. How do you feel about that? And again, maybe explain a little bit if you wouldn't mind about berberine. For sure, yeah. So there are a few supplements that help glucose levels long-term. So berberine is one, cinnamon is one, um, and there's lots of other cool stuff coming up. You can also take some supplements that improve your gut microbes and help you reduce your glucose spikes. To me, Poppy, these are these are cool, but these are sort of like, Step two, like you need, yeah, you can't just like add berberine and cinnamon to your diet and be like, okay, great. Now my glucose levels are done. Like, no, the food is still the most important thing that's going to impact your glucose. So take them if you want, but also focus on the hacks because without the hacks, it's going to have a very negligible impact, you know? I think that's a really great point to end on because I think that in our world we've become so conditioned of quick fixes and so just to be reminded of how beneficial it is just to kind of get the foundation through our behavior right I think is like deeply helpful I certainly find it incredibly helpful you are truly magical 
I'm so grateful for your time. I'm so unbelievably grateful for this new book. And I will put a link to the show notes. And I'm sure people are following you, but where's the best place to find you? And, you know, do you have any plans for events or, you know, people to actually experience this in first hand or anything like that? So the best place to find me is Glucose Goddess on Instagram. And I'm scheduling a massive essentially online event on may 22nd monday may 22nd we are all starting the four-week glucose goddess method together yes so the book is out in the uk april 25th so you've got time to get it before we start um the glucose goddess method and you can buy it anywhere you buy books recommend local bookstores of course but otherwise anywhere online you get your books you'll get it and yeah monday may 22nd we're all starting together Okay, fantastic. Well, I will be doing that. Um, So everyone listening, join me and uh, we'll be following along with all the the other Glucose Goddess tribe in the Mm four-week plan. I mean, luckily, I've been very fortunate. I've had a little sneaky pre-copy, so I'm already on the four-week plan, but I'll be doing it again. And the recipes are going to be super easy, even for somebody who doesn't usually cook. It's so simple that even somebody who doesn't really cook very often can get into it. Yeah, honestly, guys, if I can do it, anybody can do it. (laughs) (laughs) So grateful to you. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Bobby. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today, please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much. I'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so. My mental health book, Happy Not Perfect, is available to order now. The book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker, a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions, and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you, so do shoot me a message on Instagram, send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well.